morning. Good to see you all. Are you guys all bracing for the hurricanes? Everybody ready? We had uh, Hurricane Hilda, you know, and she was a, a wily one. So uh, now we have, what is this, Hurricane Ignacio. Thank you. Thank you, Ignacio. I think there was a song about this one somewhere. Um, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, Nacho Libre. Yeah, anyways. Genesis chapter 31. <laughs> you guys, all right. You guys got it now? All right, Ignacio, all right. Um, the God of Jacob, Genesis chapter 31. Uh, as you're already there, I want to just give you guys a big thank you and just let you guys know I received a letter in the mail this week from the Southern Baptist Convention headquarters, uh, International Mission Board, and uh, this is really just all glory due to God and just a sign that He is at work uh, in you, in His people. Uh, we are, I guess, and I was like, I don't know what this means, we are in the top 10% of giving churches in America um, per person. And uh, so out of 50,000 Southern Baptist churches or 50,000 plus Southern Baptist churches, we're in the top 10% uh, of giving for missions. And that's, man, praise God, that's, that's God's glory. I, that's, I was reading it and I was like, what is this? Right, right, right. This is how we do missions. And so for those of you who are maybe visiting with us or maybe you're not super familiar with the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, one of the things we do is we partner by ourselves. We are not a massive church. We don't have multi-million dollar budget. And so we partner with other churches of like faith and practice, and we give together and kind of pool our resources. And then the Southern Baptist Convention, which is this network of thousands and thousands of churches across the world all give and we are able to do more together for the gospel of Christ. And, and so that's one of the things we do. So thank you so much for, for your generosity. Uh, thank you so much for giving. Thank you for giving sacrificially. Uh, and I look forward to seeing us grow in this in the future uh, as we, the Lord just continues to just lavish us with grace and mercy that we would grow in this. Uh, one area that uh, in the very near future, I'd like to see us giving to, you could even start now if you wanted to, would be the building improvement fund for the parsonage to be built. Um, cash on hand is awesome, so if you want to give, I'm kind of like, dude, if we just had 50 people give a thousand bucks, that'd be awesome. And we'd be done. So some of you can give a thousand bucks. Just think 50. 50 is not that many. Some of you have people who could give a thousand bucks. Some of you can give more than a thousand. Some can give less than a thousand. Like 500, you're like, whoa, that's a lot of money. Yeah. We'll all give sacrificially and we will see a mighty, mighty work of God done. I promise you that. When we give for his glory and for his name, and you're like, Randy, this is for your, this is for your house. Yes, it is not just for my house, though. Uh, for many of you who know, um, we try as much as we can to, my wife and I, to just use our resources to serve God's people, uh, to serve those. And that, that's what we long to see, that whole property, this whole property, just become a, a pillar in the community of help and hope in Christ. And so when you give, just know that that's what you will be giving to, not a gold toilet or not, uh, you know, all this type of stuff, granite, marble, countertops, or whatever, uh, we are just, we're trying to serve. That's it. So if, if the Lord lays that on your heart, I'm just going to put that plug in there. Give. You can give today. Building Improvement Fund. Just mark it. It'll go right in. Uh, and thank you for those who have been giving. All right. That's my money. 
talk right out of the way, all right? So those who are like, man, they always talk about money, all right? That's the talk. It's out of the way. Um, you don't have to give anything if you're like, I don't want to do that, all right? If the Lord leads you, do it. All right, Genesis 31. We've been walking through the, the history of redemption from Genesis 1, and we're going to go to Genesis 50, all right? Why is this important, all right? Have you guys enjoyed this study in Genesis? Right on, man. Praise God. Uh, I hope you guys have seen how actually very relevant this very, very old book is. Uh, I was reading some statistics, and I think they said... Um, now more than half of individuals, uh, people, are a part of a stepfamily at some point in their lives. They either have a stepbrother, stepsister, stepmom, stepdad. Uh, just as divorce rate is more than 50%, um, then also the stepfamilies are growing very quickly. And so that means that there are a lot of broken marriages, and there are a lot of blended families now. And if there's one thing that Genesis is relevant to, especially in these past few chapters, it's blended families. Amen? You have four wives, uh, 11 sons, one daughter, a father-in-law, all sorts of drama, all right? Twins fighting, wanting to kill each other, all right? If that's the way you feel, like your family is a war zone, you've come to a very good chapter in Genesis, all right? You get to see God's hope. So why are we walking through all of this? Why is this important, what we call the history of redemption? Let me propose to you at least one reason. There's lots of reasons, but Romans 15 verse 4 says that what happened in former days was written for our instruction. You catch that? What happened to Jacob and Leah and Rachel was written for our instruction that through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Amen. That we might have hope. Now, when I talk about hope, brothers and sisters, know that when we speak of hope, we speak of life and death, literally. When people run out of hope, they kill themselves. When they place all of their hope in a Savior that cannot deliver, they can kill themselves. Or on maybe the less extreme scale, when a husband and wife run out of hope, they have a divorce. That, that hope that this marriage can be salvaged, that family will be broken. When a, when a son and, or a brother and brother run out of hope that that relationship can be restored... You have fractured family, maybe even domestic violence, as Esau wanted to kill Jacob. When individuals run out of hope or get extremely, extremely low on hope, we have a, a category in our society for this, for people who are sad all the time. What is that called? Depression. You can get meds for this. Some people cry. Some people cut themselves. I arrested a guy one time, and, and I knew he had cuts, all scars, all on his arms. And I knew what happened, but I wanted to hear it from him. So I said, what happened to your arm, dude? Did you get mauled by a shark or something? And uh, just keeping it light for him. And sometimes as an officer, you already know, like, the worst about this dude. So they're pretty open with you um, sometimes. 
And so I was like, what happened to your arm? And he said, uh, oh, no, I, I cut myself, and it's dumb. And, and I was like, well, how, how come you do that? And he's like, sometimes it just feels better than anything else. And, and that's what some people do when they're, when they're out of hope, when, when they don't have anything to bank on, when their circumstances are so dark that sometimes physical pain relieves the emotional pain or spiritual pain that they're in. There's all sorts of reasons people do things, and much of it is tied to hope, my friends. And the scriptures were written, this passage was written, that you in here today might have hope. Not misplaced hope, but rock-solid rooted hope in Christ. And so I hope that this encourages you. That's my prayer. Uh, Let's pray, and we'll get rolling. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so kind to us to not leave us without a witness, to not leave us without hope, but that you sent your Son, your only, your only Son, to earth to die, to take our pain, our punishment, our wrath that was ours because of our transgressions, and you live now, you rose, you conquered the grave, and you live to give us hope that there is life in Christ. There's forgiveness of sins. There is reconciliation between anybody in Christ. So would your name be magnified. May you teach your sheep. May you feed your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, One thing that I forgot, I'm so sorry, I'll regress. Last thing. Uh, This Wednesday night is family fellowship night. Join us for dinner. We have a meal over here. It is Brazilian emphasis. We're going to have like a missions emphasis night. Thank you, Auntie Pauline, for for getting all that organized. But so if you bring food, bring Brazilian food. All right, bring some Brazilian food. And and since it's Brazil and Genesis chapter 32 is wrestling with God, we're going to do some Brazilian jiu-jitsu outside. All right. No, no, no. I'm kidding. All right. Um, So bring Brazilian night. It'll be It'll be good fun. Point one, God guides his people. Point one, God guides his people. And we see this in 31, the first few verses, right? Jacob heard the sons of Laban were saying that Jacob has taken all of our dad's wealth. And from what uh, his dad has gained, he has taken that wealth from him and now it's his. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And so God says to Jacob, Return to the land of your father and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And Jacob goes, and he also recounts this dream that he had to his wives about God telling him, it's time to go home. That's it. It's time to go home. Your time here is done. God guides, brothers and sisters, his people where he wants us to go. He has not left us wandering without hope or without direction or just aimlessly grasping in the dark. God guides us. How does he guide us today? Is he, are you going to have a dream tonight when you go home? This is what you should do, right? Oh, God, tell me, tell me, should I go? Should I stay? Should I marry this guy? Should I marry this girl? What do I do? Uh, tell me what to do. Are you going to have a dream? Is that how he does it today? I would say the nature of his guidance today is his spirit working and speaking through his word. His spirit working, speaking, guiding, directing through his word. His brothers and sisters, 
Hold up your Bibles, whether electronic or book. Hold them up. Hold them up high, high, high. Don't be ashamed, all right? Hold them up, right? In your hands, okay, you can put them down because your shoulders will get tired, all right? Um, in your hands is a treasure trove of divine wisdom. It is comprehensive. Second Peter 1 says, His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. All things that pertain to life and godliness in your life comprehensively, not exhaustively, it's not an encyclopedia, comprehensively, in his word, you have all the wisdom you need to make godly choices for any situation that will arise in your life. Psalm 119.11, famous passage. Uh, the King James, a little bit more poetic, so I'll quote it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or another famous one, Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do you feel like that this morning? Do you feel like in your job, like my path is dark, which way do I go forward? I don't know what God wants me to do. His word is a lamp and a light. Look to it. Pray, God, give me wisdom. This, is, this passage with Jacob, it's real life, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps. This is, this is Proverbs 3, our passage today, right here. And sometimes I talk to people, and, and it may not be that God isn't guiding. It may be that we are impatient and lazy. Maybe that we're impatient and lazy. We say, God, I just wish you gave me direction. And he says, I gave you my word. Read it. Everything's in there. Well, I don't understand your word. I gave you pastors, teachers, shepherds. Ask them. They confuse me. I gave you a whole body of people who have my Holy Spirit residing in them to guide and lead them into all truth. Seek counsel. God guides and directs us. And in this case, sometimes, sometimes God calls us to separate from family or those who would do us harm. Sometimes God calls us to separate. It seems weird. This isn't kind of culturally kind of what we think of of church, but here we have God always throughout all of history calling his people to separate from them who would do them harm or from those who would do them harm. And sometimes it's family, sometimes it's friends. It takes wisdom, though, to know when and how that happens. Wisdom that, has, that is found in his word. And so what does God do? So Jacob, if you guys remember, Jacob's been with Laban, his father-in-law now, his uncle, for how many years? Anybody know? 20 years. If you're just joining us and you don't know who this dude Jacob is, if you remember a few chapters earlier, he's got a twin brother Esau. He snuck in when his dad was on his deathbed, stole the birthright, dug out without anything because he got caught and his brother wants to kill him now. 
He's all alone, and he goes to his mom's side of the family, her, her household, to seek refuge. And there he sees this hot, hot young lady, Rachel, and he wants to marry her, and he gets tricked on the wedding night, and her dad changes out her not-so-pretty older sister, Leah. And so he works ultimately 14 years for Rachel and Leah, and then he works an extra six years for the flocks, 20 years combined. It's been 20 years, and God says, now that Laban's family, they're starting to look at Jacob with contempt. He took our dad's wealth. He did all this stuff. Is that true? No, God blessed him. That's what we just saw in the last chapter. God blessed Jacob and caused him to abound as he had promised. But the sons of Laban looked, and Laban looked like, this guy's stealing all of our, our wealth. So God says, it's time to get out. And how does he do it? It's very interesting. I want you to go to verse 13. Check this out. I, and this is a Jacob, the dream that Jacob's recounting. God says, I am the God of Bethel, or Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. You say, why is that important? What is God doing? 20 years prior, as Jacob is fleeing his brother who wants to kill him, God also appeared to him in a vision and made promises to him. And Jacob said, he, Jacob says, Jacob made a vow and says, if God will deliver me and will grant me all of these things that he has said and bring me safely back to my father's house, then Yahweh shall be my God. You remember that vow? Silly Jacob. Saying if to God, right? What is God doing? 20 years later, God is reminding him of his vow. The vow that Jacob made. I, hey, the guy who's talking to you, Jacob, that's me. The same guy you, you saw at Bethel, you made a vow to me, remember? It's time to pay. Come, I'm going to take you home. Whoo, what's the application there? Brothers and sisters, some of you have made vows to God. Some of you have made vows to God. Some of you maybe many years ago. I encounter people all the time from the time I was in Bible college who had made a vow to God. Maybe it was when they were in high school. They got saved and they said, I'm going to follow God the rest of my life. Or maybe they went to Bible college. I, I, I ran into numerous people in Walmart working there and I was in school and they were like, oh, I went to that school when I was in college too. I was like, great, what was your major? Pastoral studies and theology. Awesome, me too. Where are you serving? Nowhere. What had happened? Life happened. The world had happened. Trickery, deceit, Laban. These guys had encountered their own Labans, their own schemes, their own things that derailed them or seemingly derailed them from what God had for them. And they had forgotten their vows. Maybe that's like you. Some of you have had vows in here. It was many years ago. Maybe it's been 20 years and you're like, oh, shoot. That's right. I did do that. I did go. Brothers and sisters, know this. You may have forgotten your vows, but God hasn't. And you never know what day he's going to come calling and say, you remember that vow? I'm going to take you home. 
It's time to go home. And you say, man, what's so awesome about that? Because some people, like Jacob, are so caught up and tangled in a mess. He got caught up in hard labors, 14 years. Now it's just like, I would love to go back to the land of my fathers, but I, just, I, I would love to make good on my vow, Pastor Randy. You just don't know what's happened between now and then. My life is so dark. I don't even know how to begin to put the pieces back together and get on track. Here's the good news. Here's the good news this morning. You don't have to do it. God will come and fight for you if you will call out. If you will call out to him, he will come. And you will find that he is a mighty redeemer. He can draw you back from the depths of the darkest places. If you will turn and call on him. He waits to show his power to his people. So God reminds him of his vow. God guides his people. He says, time to go home. I'm going to take you home. Point one, God guides his people. Point two, God grows his people. God grows his people. Where is this going right here? We see some growth in Jacob, right? You remember I said Jacob was the most unheroic hero in the Bible? Now here he is, and we actually see a little bit of growth. He's, he's talking, and, and he's recounting. He calls his wives into the field. Uh, why does he call them into the field? Well, because Laban is a scoundrel and a schemer all the time. He doesn't want to get caught. He thinks they're gonna, his dad will take his wives and children by force if he tries to leave. And so he calls his wives into the field, and he starts to recount his faithfulness to Laban. We see some growth in Jacob. He's like, I've never defrauded your dad. I've never done anything wrong. If, if, the if he said your wages are going to be the spotted goats, then all the flock bore spotted. If he changed it and said it's going to be striped, then all the flock bore striped. I never did anything wrong to him in this regard. I was faith. We see growth in Jacob. We see growth in the mere fact that he called his wives into the field to tell them about the plan of God. Matthew Henry, uh, old pastor, he's dead now, he says this, Husbands that love their wives will communicate their purposes and intentions to them. Husbands that love their wives will communicate their purposes and intentions to them. Even if, like Jacob, you have a very word from God saying, Go do this, before he goes and does it, he calls his wives and tells them the story. This is what we're doing. You ask, why did he do that? Well, just think about it. Read the, uh, read the Bible with, with real life. He's about to ask these two women and their 11 or 12 children who have never left their father's house, their country ever, to travel very, very far, never to see their family again. You're going to need a little bit of a convincing there, right? And so that's what Jacob's doing. He's trying to convince them to come with them. Uh, some of you know how I met my wife, the story of how I met Brittany. Uh, I met her in a gym, okay? So if you don't know, I met my wife, my lovely, beautiful wife, Brittany, in a gym. We both worked there, and, and uh, I was like, hey, are your legs tired? And she's like, no, why? It's like, because you've been running through my mind all day, right, 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 <laughs> right, all the, <laughs> right, right, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, right? Um, <laughs> Yeah, so gym jokes, right? We have them. Um, so I met her in a gym, and before I, I wanted to even pursue really a relationship with her, I wanted to see, because I knew God had not called me to stay in Missouri. 
God had already planted Hawaii in my heart way in that time, and I knew I wasn't going to be there in Missouri. So I was going to make sure that this woman was okay to leave her family before I even pursue her. And so I asked her, like, oh, yeah, you know, I think God, what do you, what do you want to do with your future and all this, and I think I'm going to do this. Or, I mean, would you ever see yourself, like, leaving Missouri? And... Nope. <laughs> thought she was kidding. I was like, oh, I mean, you're just kidding, right? Like you, she's like, no, I have all my family here. I'm never leaving, never. I was like, all right, uh, I guess that's all done. That's a red light. I'm done. This conversation's, I'm going to go back to my workout now, all right? Um, no, actually, long story short, basically, I, by God's grace, she saw his person and his promises to her. And within about uh, two weeks' time, she was like, you know what? Whatever God wants for me in my life, I'm down. I was like, green light! Yes! (laughs) Right? And so this is what Jacob is doing with his wives. He is reminding them of God's person, who he is, his promises, what he has done, his faithfulness to my father, my great-grandfather Abraham, and, and, or my grandfather Abraham, and my father Isaac, and, and now to me. God is faithful, and this is what we're going to do. This is what he has said to do, and so we see this growth in Jacob. Praise God. This is what he's doing in all of us. He is steadily molding you. He is forging you. He is conforming you into the image of Christ. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, it can be so discouraging because it feels like it takes so long, 20 years. But make no mistake about it. God's purposes will come to pass. Somebody has called faith long obedience in the same direction. This is certainly true of Jacob's case. Long obedience in the same direction. And what do we see the outcome? Verse 16, his wives, what do they say to him? Whatever God has said to you, do. Whatever God has said to you, do. Husbands, word to the wives right here. Ministry, if you want to be in ministry or even just pure husbands, check this out. If your wife, you and your wife are believers in following Christ, one good, sure sign to know that you're doing what God wants you to do is he's going to give your wife a mind to do that also. Just like these, he gave two of them the mind to do the same thing, right? Not just one, two. Whatever God has said to you, do. And if you are having your wife say, no, I don't want to do this. I'm not there. That's not what I think God wants me to do. It might not be a no. It might be a wait. Not right now. Keep praying. Keep searching. Keep seeking. There's a singularity of the Spirit. If God wants Jacob to go, then he's going to give his family the heart to go. Whatever God has said, do. We also see that God always expects obedience. So I said in the previous point that God guides his people. Sometimes God guides us to separate, but God always, always expects obedience, whatever that is. I said a few weeks ago, sometimes the call of God makes us go. Sometimes the call of God calls us to stay. Whatever God's call is on our life, he always, always expects obedience. And so, 
Jacob goes with his wives. I want to make a, a side note here also for future pastors, all right? Check this out. Some of us in here want to be in ministry, church planners, pastors, missionaries. I hope that'd be awesome in foreign countries, right? Uh, biblical counselors, whatever. But specifically for future pastors of some sort, when Jacob's talking to Laban, Later, Laban's going to catch up with him, and they're going to have this big, like, knockdown, drag out, like, you did this, no, you did this, and, and, and Laban explo or Jacob explodes on Laban, and uh, <clears throat> he recounts his faithfulness in the very, he, man, he's like, I, I lost sleep in your herds, I, not one time did I lose them, and it was cold, and then the, hot, the days were extremely sweltering hot, and, and brothers and sisters, Jacob was a shepherd, and if you long to be in the ministry, know this. We must be ready to lay down your very life for the sake of the sheep, if need be. To lay it all down. Comfort, sleep, your very heartbeat, because the master, Christ, the good shepherd, did. And he expects no less of his servants. Lay down your life for the sheep. End note. God guides his people God grows his people. And number three, God guards his people. We don't have any of those in Hawaii, praise God. <laughs> All right. uh, some of you in Hawaii, your, your most experience you've had with one of these is if you went to Baldwin High School maybe and you're a Baldwin bear, All right, but you probably don't even know what a bear is because you've not seen one here. All right, They are massive massive creatures, all right? And, and this is not one that you ever heard of mama bear, all right? That's where this comes from, all right? The mama bear and her cubs, God guards his people, ferociously guards them, powerfully guards them. And we see this in uh, statements like this, verse 7. Jacob saying to his wives, uh, your father has cheated me my wages and changed them ten times, but God did not permit me, permit him to harm me. And we see in verse 24, God comes to Laban in a dream at night. So here's what happens. Jacob uh, decides to follow God's promises. He gets all of his cattle, all of his family, all of his property, and he flees. Secretly, he doesn't tell Laban, hey, God told us to go. Thank you for your kindness and your daughters. I'm out. He just digs out. Laban catches wind of this three days later. Somebody comes and tells Laban, uh, hey, Jacob's gone. All of his stuff's gone too, and the house is really quiet. There's no children running around, all right? And so Laban goes and takes off, and he bolts after him. And all the terms used are very militaristic, pursued, followed, went after, right? They're, he's ticked, all right? This is what the narrative is showing. He is ticked, which you would be too, right? If somebody just up and left and your daughters are gone and things like that. Jacob digs out, and while Laban's pursuing him, God comes to him in a dream, and this is what he says. Be careful, Laban, not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. What's God saying? He's fighting for Jacob. He's, he's ensuring, hey, Laban, I'm not going to kill you, but make sure you say not a word, good or bad. He's guarding him. God guards his people. 
And Laban will bring this up later in a, in a rather prideful way, actually. This is verse 29. Uh, he finally catches up with him, and, and they have this big confrontation. And this is what Laban actually says to Jacob. Check this out. You couldn't, man, this would be a great movie, right? Wouldn't this be an X? This would be like super intense if somebody could write it and get the screenplay. This is what Laban says to Jacob. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. First, it's arrogant on Laban's part. It's in my power to do you harm. The only reason I'm not is because this God is standing between us two right here, right? Yeah, that's right. It's foolish, Laban. You're ridiculous. God warned him, and he's heeding it. God guards his people, brothers and sisters. This is good news. Why is this good news for you? Because God keeps you. The Lord is your keeper. He will not permit your foot to, he will not permit you to stumble. He will not let your foot slip. The Lord is your keeper, says the psalm. Laban, one of his terms when he finally catches Jacob, one of the things, his, the complaints he has is, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me, Jacob, that you were going to leave? So I could, have, I could have sent you out properly. I could have blessed my daughters. I could have blessed my children. I could have sent you out with myrrh and dancing and the tambourine and had this big party. You think Laban wanted to throw Jacob a party? After all we've learned of Laban, do you think that was really what was so upsetting him? That same dude, Matthew Henry, this is what he said about Laban. It's common for bad men, when they are disappointed in their malicious projects, to pretend that they design nothing but what was kind and fair. End quote. Did you get that? It's common for bad men or deceivers that if you thwart their plans to be malicious, that they just pretend like they never had any bad intent in the first place. Jacob, why didn't you just tell me so I could have had a party for you? He's disguising his true intent. My son was in the bath last night, and Brittany had told him, don't drink any water from the bathtub, right? Don't. Well, drink any bath water, all right? Partially because you she-she in there sometimes, all right? It's gross, right? So, so don't drink the bath water. And, and he was being kind of wily, and I look over at him. She leaves, and I look over at him, and I see him going like this. He's looking at me like this. I said, did you drink the water? He goes, no, I had it on my tongue. pretending like he had no ill intent in the first place, right? I was just like, you're Laban, little man. You're, you're Laban. All right? This is common. When, they, when you frustrate the plans of those who have malicious intent, they pretend like they didn't do any, intend anything but what was kind and fair. You know anybody like this in your work? You ever seen anybody like this? But God, nevertheless, guards his people, even against accusatory types of questions like, what does he say? Why did you steal my gods? That was Laban's other charge against Jacob. Besides this, I could do you harm, but your God is stopping me. And besides this, why did you steal my gods? 
he assumes the negative about Jacob, that he actually stole his gods. Why not rather ask positively, hey, by the way, uh, I see my daughters are gone, that's cool, but I'm also missing my gods. Did you happen to take those, by the way? Right? Why not ask positively? It's also common for those who mean ill or have wicked designs to assume the worst about those whom they are speaking to. He had already assumed the negative, that he had done something wrong. Nonetheless, Laban's still foolish, one commenter said. He says, foolish man, to call his gods that could be stolen. Did you catch that? Why did you steal my gods? Could he expect protection from those gods that could neither resist nor discover their invaders? Check this out. This is awesome. Happy are those who have Yahweh for their God, for they have a God that cannot be robbed of. Enemies may steal our goods, but not our God. It can never be said of the followers of Christ, why have you stolen our gods? God, in all of this, guarding, guiding, growing his people. Where's Jesus in all of this? I ask, where is Jesus? Are you connecting any dots? Jacob fleeing by secret, undercover from Mesopotamia to the land that he was promised, pursued hotly by Laban, who desired to have him back in service, guarded and guided the whole way by God until he gets home. Reminding you of any bells going off yet? Foreshadowing of a greater exodus. When Moses would lead the people of Israel, the very descendants of Jacob, would flee on foot while being pursued, while they're guarded and guided by the power of God. Until they get to the promised land, which in itself is another greater foreshadowing of the greatest exodus when the greatest Jacob would come and lead his captive people who are captive to sin and brokenness and death and decay and heartache. And he would redeem them from the very dredges of life and lead them in a greater exodus, triumphantly, powerfully, never to be enslaved again. Jesus is the greater Jacob. Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is leading a greater exodus, brothers and sisters, all of which this is written to give us hope. There's hope for you today. There's hope for you this morning. Go to the next slide, the last slide. I don't know if you in the back can see what that is. If you have good eyes, you might be able to see it. It's a fortress with waves crashing all around it. Ponder this well. Psalm 46, twice, and it ends with this. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Ponder what that means. 
the God of Jacob. Two characters, one, the nature and faithfulness of this mighty God. He is a fortress for all the hopeless, the downcast, the oppressed, if you will run into him. And the nature of Jacob, scheming, faithless, goofy, bumbling at times, not dependable really for anything. One pastor said, you could probably title this whole, se- whole section, The Trickster Tricks, The Trickster Who Tricked Him. Jacob. And yet, for all of history, God will be known, one of his titles is the God of Jacob is our fortress. Brothers and sisters, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Would you come this morning? Would you come to him with whatever your need may be, whatever your hurt may be? Would you come today? Don't wait. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God who never stops doing good to his people. And Lord, may you be with us. May we run to you. May we worship you hotly in this building this morning as we sing our praises back to you. Lord, did you do a mighty work in Kahului for your glory, I pray. Amen.